Welcome to the No Small Churches podcast. I'm your host, Ephraim Wilkoff. We exist to amplify preaching from faithful leaders serving the local church. At No Small Churches, we believe that when measured in kingdom value, there are no small churches. Last week, I said we were wrapping up a month of all women pastors to honor Women's History Month. Today, we're beginning a new month honoring women preachers the first evangelists of the gospel to celebrate the start of Eastertide this Sunday. So deal with it. Honestly, it's just easier to vet preaching from women because you know they support women in ministry. Handy time saver. Today's message comes from Marsha Rivers, pastor of Congregational Care and Discipleship at Northgate Free Methodist Church in Batavia, New York. And while Northgate falls a little bit above our normal church size for the No Small Churches brand, I really enjoy Marsha's preaching, so again, deal with it. Pastor Marsha says of the community served by Northgate, We serve a rural region of western New York State. Our average church attender has grown up in the area, but not necessarily in church. Many of our regular attenders grew up in other faith traditions or none at all, but have found warmth, welcome, and peace through Christ and his love as expressed through our congregation. Pastor Marcia says something her church does very well is welcoming people and serving the surrounding community. Pastor Marcia dreams that Northgate will continue to foster deeper connections with the people, both in discipleship and fellowship. Sounds just like what a pastor of congregational care and discipleship would say. On hard days, she says this is what keeps her going. Incidents and opportunities to help folks in small ways that clearly make a big difference in their lives. Sometimes I feel I just happen to be in the right place at the right time, but then God's Spirit reminds me that He put me there, and I feel encouraged that God can work through me to bless others, even if I don't, can't, do, be, all things to all people, everywhere. This week's message is entitled, Surrender, the Intersection of Faith and Motherhood. Our key scripture will be Matthew 16, 24 through 26, and I will be reading from the Common English Bible Translation, as is our custom here on the No Small Churches podcast. Let us take a moment to prepare our hearts to hear the Word of God and to hear from Pastor Marsha Rivers. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Saving and Losing Life. Then Jesus said to his disciples, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Why would people gain the whole world? but lose their lives. What will people give in exchange for their lives? The Word of the Lord. I think it was my daughter Lucy who once said, I have a frog in my mouth, Mommy. 
and I have a bit of a frog in my mouth today. So I'm just going to use this ledge and hope it's not like at home and things get tipped over and spills and messes because, yes, I am a mom. I have four kids, Vivian, Ruben, Lucy, and Cordelia. And I want to start by sharing a story with you about the arrival of my first child. It was 20 years ago this August that I waddled into Highland Hospital (laughs) Prepared, or so I thought I was prepared to give birth to my first child. You see, in the months leading up to that, I had started a new full-time job. I think it was February. This is August. It had just been a few months. So I'd been really working hard to get the hang of that new job. And my husband, Tom, as you may know, is a newspaper reporter. This was back in his daily news days before he was doing the Orleans Hub. His schedule is just crazy. And on top of that, we were house hunting for for our first home. And so there just wasn't a lot of time, and so I decided not to take the childbirth preparation class. I mean, I figured women have been doing this for thousands of years. How hard can it be? Well, my friend Amy, who had delivered her first child a year earlier, told me, Marsha, they don't call it labor for nothing. And I was about to find out about that. I checked into the hospital, there was an intern who examined me, this is a doctor in training, and she told her supervising physician I was five centimeters dilated. And I remember the knowing glances between the doctor and the nurses, and they stepped away from my bed, but I could hear them. I have bionic ears. It's one of my best traits as a mother. They said, she can't possibly be five centimeters. She seems too comfortable. So I thought, well, I do have a rather high pain tolerance, (laughs) priding myself. And a couple of hours later in the delivery room, I was feeling it. And I turned to Tom, and I was wild-eyed, and I said, I don't think I can do this. (laughs) And like any good expectant father in that situation who feels helpless and doesn't know what else to say, he said, hey, do what you got to (laughs) do. I, so I accepted that dose of Demerol, <laughs> and I delivered my baby. But then fast forward another several hours. After all the hoopla of naming our daughter and receiving her first visitors and accepting all the congratulatory greetings that seemed to fall on us like confetti, posing for our first pictures together as a family, everybody left And Tom went home for a good night's sleep, and I held that newborn baby in my hands. She was that small. I remember I had had her head in one hand and her little bum in the other, and I looked up wild-eyed to God and said, I don't think I can do this. (laughs) Motherhood is not for wimps. It's daunting. The author Elizabeth Stone said, to have a child is to decide forever to have your heart go walking outside your body. Now, my oldest daughter, Vivian, the baby girl whose arrival into the world I just described to you, has taken this truism to an extreme lately. Since, can I have that map, the slide of the map? Since graduating from high school two years ago, she has not just walked around outside my body. She has flown, bused, traveled by train, even by camel. 
And I just did this map up on my phone with the markup. It's pretty rudimentary, but the, the orange, or looks red up on the screen, arrow describes her first study of a abroad trip last spring to Europe, and the little squiggle line shows that she was in eight countries in five weeks. She came back. I didn't do the arrows back, but she did come back. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Uh, however, then this past semester, as some of you know, you've been praying for her, and I appreciate those prayers. She did come back, but she did. The green arrow represents her trip to Kenya, where she spent three months in a study abroad program, and she is studying international development, so that makes sense, right? Well, she came back for about two weeks, and this morning at 6 a.m., the blue arrow represents her flight to Los Angeles, and then she's taking a bus to Sequoia, Sequoia National Park, where she's got a job lined up for the summer. So by my rough count, that's 32,967 miles, but who's counting? And I'm beginning to wonder if mama's hearts are eligible for frequent flyer privileges. But joking aside, many people have asked, how can you let her go? That's really far away. You must be worried sick, or that must be so hard. And if there's anything I've learned about motherhood, it's that, yes, it is so hard. <laughs> the challenges of raising four children, juggling jobs and ball games, dental appointments, birthday parties, band concerts, housework, head lice, heartaches, minor injuries, major accomplishments, you know, like getting tall enough to be able to turn the faucet on yourself. That's a major accomplishment in a young household. And will somebody please let the dog in, right? I mean, this is all of it. It seems like too much, more than a mom can manage. There aren't enough hours in the day, and there are far too many days in a winter, even into May. But just as Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 19.26, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So it is with our lives. The challenges that are too great without God are somehow possible with him. The life-giving, spirit-strengthening, soul-redeeming love of Jesus makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God, the God of the universe, the God who made each one of us, as Pastor Vern has been describing so beautifully over the past two weeks about how God made it all. It's just a wonder. And that relationship gives life, strength, and redemption to every other relationship in our lives. So our main point on this Mother's Day, and it applies to all of us, is the best way to love those we love most is to love God even more. The scripture from Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This passage is just the nitty-gritty of Scripture. It's who you're going to serve, what's it going to be, how are you going to live when it comes right down to it and push comes to shove and life is really too hard for you to handle. Are you going to go your own way, 
strive, grasp, keep things to yourself, do it on your own, or attempt to do it on your own? Or will you say yes to God's invitation to be a follower of Jesus and to find life and health and peace? Well, when parents become parents, they're sometimes teased that babies don't come with instruction manuals, and that's true. But for this relationship, the relationship with God that matters most in our lives, the relationship that can make us good parents, if that's what God calls us to be, or good employees, good aunts and uncles, good little league coaches, good city council members, you get the idea. All the things that we do, the roles that we play in our lives and those essential relationships, for the relationship that will empower us to fulfill our destiny eternally in freedom and joy, we do have an instruction book. It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. And this particular part of the Word of God comes with step-by-step instructions. So let's learn how to live a Christian life how to be a Christ follower, and empower all the relationships in our lives from that basis. Step one, deny yourself. Now, we mothers are known for denying ourselves all kinds of things for the sake of our children. But here, Jesus isn't only talking about sacrificing creature creature comforts or little luxuries or, you know, basic necessities like sleep or bathroom breaks alone You know, I thought that phase of my life was over when my youngest one outgrew that, coming into the bathroom with mommy. And then we got a dog. (laughs) And he just pushes right in, and you got to remember to shut it tight. So anyway, (laughs) that's not the kind of self-denial that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about letting go of the lordship of our lives. That's not a, a term we use a lot in our contemporary culture. Basically, it means who's in charge? Who's the owner? Who calls the shots? So Jesus is talking about letting go of that lordship of our own lives, the belief and practice of following our own way, resisting that part of us that says, me, me, me. Guess what? That's a really loud voice. Maybe part of the benefit of motherhood to help us become better Christ followers is the reality that we're forced to listen to one or more voices louder and more persistent than our own. Anyone who's ever had to try, tried to have a conversation with a grown-up in the grocery store with a young child in tow knows what I'm talking about. Or how about the telephone? Oh, forget about it. If you try to have a phone conversation and there is a preschooler nearby, even if they've been playing quietly in the next room for the last 45 minutes, you pick up that phone and you're guaranteed to get some sort of loud, persistent interruption, something urgent like, my socks don't match. You know, mommy, 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 mommy. And you're trying to talk to, you know, Dr. So-and-so or your boss about your work week or whatever. But however, the more important the conversation, the louder the voice. (laughs) Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. Some versions on the plaque on my parents' living room wall, it says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. The ancient text is countercultural to the prevailing wisdom 
of these times. Our society says, you can do it, whatever it is, whatever it is that you want to do. Follow your heart's desire and forget about the consequences. Forget about what other people want. Forget about what God wants. That doesn't even come into the conversation of our culture. And then they'll sell you two dozen self-help books to tell you how or point your URL to 200 YouTube videos with step-by-step instructions so that you can do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. To deny ourselves as followers of Jesus means acknowledging that God is in charge of the universe and allowing him to be in charge of us, our daily decisions, as well as our ultimate destiny. Now, If you find this concept challenging, when the rubber meets the road and you have decisions to make and you're picking between right and wrong and sometimes you'd prefer your own way, you're in good company. The Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle Peter, Peter's the one that's always getting himself in trouble, foot in mouth, so there's some sort of irony about the fact that I just messed that up. Um, Peter. (laughs) Peter was also a take-charge kind of guy. In fact, just prior to the passage, that I'm focusing on today about denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus. Just prior to that, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, Peter indicates his noble intention to intervene in God's plan. He knows better, or so he thinks. The passage goes like this. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is Peter rebuking Jesus. Jesus, who he knows is the Messiah. But he knows better that Peter... And he says, God, forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Which sounds pretty harsh, right? But as I consider it further, I realize it's really a gracious response. It's an acknowledgement that Peter is human. Jesus was human too, but he was also fully divine, and he had the advantage of being able to consider the divine plan more easily, more readily. He had both, and Peter was focused on human perspective. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on that human understanding. The next part of Jesus' instruction to his disciples, including us, right, Jesus saw fit to make sure that these instructions were passed down to us here and now. It's to take up our cross, step two. What does Jesus mean by that? I thought there was only one guy who had to help Christ carry his cross. From Luke 23, 26, as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. Well, Simon was just a passerby. He was ordered to bear Christ's cross, so he did. Well, wouldn't you? If you see the consequences of disobedience to the Roman government passing in front of you in real color and harsh reality, of course, he did it because he had to. He really had no choice. 
But for us, to take up our cross, I believe that means that we intentionally, we set about doing what God wants us to do for the purpose of being part of God's plan for saving and transforming the world. Sounds pretty grandiose when I put it that way, doesn't it? Another way, another way of phrasing that is to find and fulfill our God-given purpose. Doesn't each of us long to be part of something bigger than ourselves? Once we've accepted, received, experienced God's love and forgiveness, as I hope and pray that all of us gathered have today or will today, once we know that in the core of our being, don't we want to pass that along and share it with others? Well, scriptures chock full of messages about fulfilling this purpose. In fact, some of us moms, even today, might receive a coffee mug or a wall plaque with one of these Bible verses on them today. I looked up purpose in the Bible, and I got lots of hits, lots of purpose in the Bible. But I'll just read a few verses, see if you recognize them on the coffee mug that you get today. Romans 8, 28 And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 1 Corinthians 3.8, I thought this one was appropriate in light of the springtime. We're all trying to plant, right? Mother Nature is not cooperating yet, but the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. And 2 Corinthians 5.5, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. God has given us a purpose to help build his kingdom, to spread the word that he loves us and he's provided a way for our forgiveness. God who has given us the spirit, the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, in our soundbite culture, we tend to highlight our favorite parts of God's word and, you know, make those mugs or memes out of them and do our best to have a blessed day. But in reality, in their original context, many of these inspirational settings came in the midst of persecution, legitimate threats to the lives of those Christ followers, their lives and their livelihoods. The women women and men of God needed to be inspired and reminded of God's eternal purposes because they themselves were living on the edge of eternity. Friends, moms, brothers and sisters, Northgate attenders and members, so are we. We're living on the edge of eternity, and it should compel us to pick up our cross, to find and fulfill our God-given purpose while we can, while we have life and breath and hands and feet to do what God asks us to do, what he has for us to do, what a privilege it is to serve him. We may not be facing death at the hands of Roman gladiators or the possibility of being burned at the stake, but not a one of us knows how much time we have left in this world. Some of you know that from up close and personal experience with a loved one who has died unexpectedly. Too soon is what we say. I know of someone who went into the hospital just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, with a urinary tract infection of all things. Just an ordinary thing that got out of hand 
needed to be, she needed to be hospitalized. And she died last Saturday because of complications from her treatment and the way that the infection took hold in her 37-year-old body. Two little kids, husband left behind. We're all living on the edge of paternity. We don't know how much time we have left. So when I say that finding and fulfilling our God-given purpose means more than a pretty turn of phrase to boost our spirits, I mean, it won't be easy. We should find and fulfill our God-given purpose and expect pain. Expect that. Jesus said that, right? In this world, you will have trouble. It's guaranteed. But so is the spirit that God has given us, guaranteeing our place in, in heaven and guaranteeing his help with us along the way. So we should expect pain and anticipate joy. And I don't mean that as some pretty turn of phrase either. I'm not talking about a happiness, a comfort, good cup of coffee, and a warm, snuggly recliner on a day like today. No, I'm talking about deep joy of knowing that we're right with God, that we're doing what he's asked us to do in this world, and that ultimately he commands our destiny. I love that line from the praise chorus. Jesus commands my destiny. And that's the joy that we can anticipate. And the the author of the Hebrews wrote about Jesus and the joy when in, in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. Stick to it. Keep doing it. Yes, it's going to hurt sometimes. Yes, there will be difficulties. Yes, there will be hassles and inconveniences. Sometimes we think we're going to know better how our lives should be and how it should turn out. But to, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, means to trust that God knows better. Jesus' purpose, wait, I got off track, got excited about that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. (laughs) It's one of my favorites, and I didn't even finish it out. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that leads us to the final step, step three. Follow Jesus. Following Jesus has, I think, a dual purpose or a dual meaning. It means, yes, following his example, which means we have to learn about his life, read our Bible, learn about his life, his ministry, study the scriptures, find out what Jesus taught, how to approach our relationships, how to structure our time, how to live out our days. But just like I walked into Highland Hospital thinking I knew how to handle childbirth because I'd read the book, (laughs) I had to experience the pain and the joy of living it out through blood, sweat, and tears. Following Jesus means much more than knowing about him. It means inviting him into our hearts and allowing him to change who we are. From that wayward child that each of us was and sometimes still is, even in a grown-up body, into a beloved saint, 
a beloved saint who has said yes to God and still messes up sometimes, but turns time and time again to him and says, I'm sorry. I just picture my kids, you know, coming to me after they've messed up. And that's one thing I've sure learned from motherhood is what it means to love a child so much and to have this stance of utter grace toward them, to watch them do something they know they shouldn't do and have them come to us and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And of course, what does a loving parent do? We wrap them in our arms, we kiss them, we hug them, we hold them, we reassure them of our love and our forgiveness. That's how God is with us. It has to be close. It can't be just following from afar, from a shouting distance. Hey, Jesus, I see you. You're a good dude. Did a lot of good things. I believe in you. You stay over there. I keep doing my own thing. No, following Jesus, the way that Jesus describes in Matthew, is to follow him from a whisper away. Anytime, all the time, We need to be in communion with him, whispering our prayers, our needs, our praise. Everything we need for life and godliness godliness is in that relationship. And when we say sorry and we receive his forgiveness, then he teaches us. He teaches us to resist temptation, to lean on him even more, and to live in his strength in spite of our weakness. Our weakness doesn't seem to go away. (laughs) That human side of us, that part of us that says, me, 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 that keeps saying me, 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 in the the quieter background as we mature. But the weakness is still there, and God knows it. And yet he fills us with his strength as we ask. As we invite Jesus in and allow him to transform us, as we deny ourselves Let him lead the way as we take up our cross, that is, sincerely seeking out the work that God wants us to do and then doing it diligently, even when it gets difficult. We will become more like him. And we become more like ourselves. Not the selfish part, but the true self that God has created us to be in his glory. Now, God knows we can't simply read the book and slide through life into eternity unscathed. We need to experience his goodness, even when that means wrestling with doubts, fears, and anguish. That's part of the deal. If you're sitting here thinking, what she's describing is not for me, I'm not some sort of super Christian. Well, welcome. (laughs) This is a place of grace, where doubts and fears and anguish are welcomed at Jesus' feet. Anguish that leaves us feeling like I did on that day nearly 20 years ago when we find ourselves saying, crying out really to God, I can't do this. He says to our storms, peace, be still. And he says to us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The great devotional writer Oswald Chambers 
puts it this way, and on this Mother's Day, when we celebrate that relationship, that very important relationship of mother and child, I want us to remember that the relationship that matters most, described by Oswald Chambers, goes like this. There's only one relationship that matters, and that is your personal relationship to a personal Redeemer and Lord. Let everything else go, but maintain that at all costs. Talk to Jesus. Pray. Read your Bible. Learn about him, but also learn of him. Let him transform you. Maintain that at all costs, and God will fulfill his purpose. There's that purpose again through your life. One individual life may be of priceless value to God's purposes, and yours may be like that life. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be called your children and to live that out in all of our imperfection. We know that you love us. We know that you're gracious to us. We know that you stand ready to scoop us up in your arms and give us forgiveness and power to live for you. I pray that each one here would know that today in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Marcia, for that great encouragement about the best way to love those that God cares about. Before we end each episode, we always take a minute to pray for the teaching pastor and their church. Pastor Marcia asks that we pray for her church to reconnect with God, each other, and their community even more deeply than before COVID. Let's join Pastor Marcia in that prayer now. God, we thank you that after a year of being apart, of uh, being physically distanced and uh, more than we like to admit being socially and spiritually and emotionally distanced. We ask that in a divided season for many communities that your Holy Spirit would unite us. I think of uh, Wesley's sermon, The Catholic Spirit, and this idea that we can be united in our love for you, that we can be united in our common goals to see your kingdom come and your will be done in the world. And God, we ask for that unity in our churches, not at the expense of the truth, but unity in our people as we seek truth together to right wrongs, to bring justice to our communities, God. We ask that you would use faithful and grace-filled voices like Pastor Marsha's to continue to speak hope and connection and discipleship into our communities. Would you empower all of us to continue to love you and serve you with the way that we live our lives every day? We ask all of this in your powerful and precious name. Amen. If you would like to support Pastor Marsha and the ministry of Northgate FMC, you can give online on their website, northgatefmc.com give. Pastor Marsha says they have a ministry of supporting migrant workers in their community, 
and would love donations earmarked for that specifically. So if you give, just put, Marsha Rivers can do whatever she wants with this in the memo line. I'm kidding. I'm sure there's something else there to delineate that ministry, uh, but you'll have to figure that out on the website. You can stay connected with Pastor Marsha and Northgate by following them on social media. I don't think Marsha has Twitter, but if you know her, ask her to join us over on hashtag FM Twitter. It's great there. Thank you for listening to the No Small Churches podcast. We pray you were encouraged and empowered to follow Jesus today. You can stay connected with us here at the podcast by following us on Twitter at No Small Churches or following me, Ephraim Wilkoff, at Wilkoff E. If you enjoyed today's podcast, consider sharing us with a friend or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And now, hear the Lenten benediction. May the God of grace and glory go with you as you follow this Lenten path, wherever it takes you and to whomever it takes you. May you go with the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, both now and forever. Amen.